Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Michaela Ganton, and today we're talking about adult students. beautiful teachers. Today on the blog we have a fantastic article about teaching adult music students about home practice. So we have a list of five great items that we need to teach adult music students about practice and how it works and those are on the blog and I'm going to share with you six things of my own invention. Okay so you can go over to the blog and check out what our guest writer wrote today There are five tips about teaching adult students, and I'm going to add six of my own here on the podcast. So the first thing I want my new adult students to learn, whether they're new to piano or just new to me, is about expectations, and that is their own expectations for themselves. In the beginning, they're going to be all gung-ho, and while they will say to you, oh, I'm not expecting to be Mozart or anything like that, ha ha ha, has anyone heard that? A lot of adult students are quick to tell me how much they're not expecting of themselves, how realistic they are about what they can achieve. And no matter how much they say that, it is untrue. Not about what they can achieve. I actually believe they can achieve whatever they want to achieve, right? If they want to play at Mozart's level, they could do that, most likely. But what they are unrealistic about is speed. And you can tell them until you're blue in the face that learning music is slow. But until you experience that, I don't think you get a good idea of what that slowness feels like for an adult. (laughs) So the first thing I want my adult students to know is what's a realistic expectation of what they're going to be able to play. And that's not to dampen their spirits, but it's also it's really to put them in the right frame of mind that they will feel successful when they get there. So I like to talk to them about, oh, here's the kind of things we might learn and what kind of music are you interested in? Try and gauge what they're interested in playing. And if they tell me a specific piece or a song, I say, that's great. We'll be able to learn a simple version of that within the first few months. Or, okay, the original of that is about year six of your studies, you know, to really put things in perspective and say, I'm going to look up an arrangement if we want to do it sooner. And here's what we need to get there. But I do like to be realistic and set their expectations 
for where they're going, for what they can achieve in the amount of time and with the amount of practice they're going to be able to do. Number two is in common with the article, and that is priorities for their practice. So a lot of my adult students get really fixated in their practice, and they end up spending a really long time on one specific problem. So you might think of it as priorities. I also might call this balance. I want to gradually train students in what a good balance of their practice time looks like. Now, that doesn't have to be specific amounts of time, but I would give them an idea of what they might be able to achieve in a practice session, how many times they might play something in a row, things like that, to give them a good idea of what a good balanced practice session might look like for them. Number three is going easy on themselves. A lot of my adult students tend to do really intense bursts of practice not achieve what they want to, and then have days where they don't practice. And look, if they can only do some longer practice sessions and then most of the week they can't practice at all because that's just their schedule, that's fair enough. But if they are going to do those longer practice sessions, I want them to focus on making that enjoyable. So bringing in breaks into their practice sessions where they're stepping away for a minute, making sure they have water on hand, going and getting a cup of tea and coming back not feeling like you have to do this one marathon session in order to achieve something, because that's not actually where we achieve things. A lot of the work that happens, happens in the back of our brain when we're not working on the thing. And so in a basic way, or if the adult happens into it in a more involved way, I will always talk to my adult students about the neuroscience or the basic ideas of what's going on in their brain and how their brain is learning things. This is equally true for kids, but I think adults, because they can get so frustrated with themselves or impatient with themselves or compare themselves to kids, they need more reinforcement of, this is all the work that's going on. This is everything that's happening in your brain. Isn't that amazing? We need to allow it space to do that. Number four is a practice journal. This won't be right for every adult student, but it can be really useful because they can quickly lose perspective on what they've done and how far they've come. So I encourage my adult students to keep a little notebook where they write down maybe the date or maybe even leave it dateless if they feel like they're going to feel guilty for missing some days or whatever. But they write down what did they do that day? What do they feel like went well? what needs more work tomorrow, just to keep a few notes. It's not only because you might forget what you did and what you wanted to work on, but it's so that later you can look back on it and say, wow, three weeks ago, I was playing this hand separately, or I was only playing the first four bars, and I was really struggling. I wrote down about how difficult that was or how I felt like I was never going to get it. And now I feel like I can do it. Or three weeks ago, I was working on naming notes and it was taking me three minutes to name this full deck of flashcards and now it's taking 45 seconds. And each step along the way is incremental so we don't even notice it. But if we can look back on it written down in our own handwriting, that can make a big difference to appreciating it. Number five is a big one. I say this to my students right away as they come in. In their first lesson, not immediately they come in, but in their first lesson, 
and then periodically I try to bring, remind them of this, I am not there to judge them. That is not my purpose. I'm there to help them, to help them learn, to teach them things. That doesn't mean judging. And depending on an adult's educational background, how they got in in school, other lessons they may have had, etc., they can have a lot of baggage that means that when they don't practice or even when they do practice but they don't achieve something, they feel guilty, they feel ashamed when they're coming to us in the lesson because they think that it's their job to, I don't know, do some, like that they're doing it for us in some way, different ways for different people but in some way they're putting it on us, they're doing it for us and I don't know about you but I'm not mad if students can't do something. Are you? That's my opportunity to teach them, to teach them in a different way, to find a new way to connect that concept to their brains. Because that's my job. If they were already able to do it, if they didn't need any help, what would I be doing? (laughs) What's the purpose of me? So it's great when they can do something right away. I'm not saying I don't celebrate that. But my purpose is teaching not judging whether they can do something or not. And my final thing for adult students that I really wish I could get across to them, and I've just, in coming up with my notes for this episode, resolved something in my head, which is the next time I have an adult student, I don't have any adult beginners right now, next time I have the opportunity to teach one, or even another teacher does in our studio, we are going to record a short video at their, maybe their second lesson. I feel like first is too intense, but their second lesson, just of their hands, we're going to store that. And we're going to do that maybe at the start of each month. We won't tell them we're doing it specifically at the start of each month, but we'll just say, oh, hey, let's record a little bit of that for the memory bank. And we'll keep these videos stored in the memory bank because I need them to be able to look back and compare themselves to themselves. I'm thinking we might even make a assignment in their Vivid Practice account that we never delete that has all these videos attached to it because then they can flip through them over time. That would be super fun. Now, this is fun for kids, but really for the kids, it's it's fun, the most fun for their parents. So it could be fun to do for them too. But I think for our adult students, it's essential because the next time they want to go on YouTube... <laughs> Or they are on YouTube and YouTube suggests a video to them. I don't think they go looking for these things. Maybe they do. But YouTube somehow shows them a video of someone who looks about four (laughs) playing a piece that it has taken them three months to learn and they just feel awful about it. We need to go back and look at where they have come from and compare themselves to themselves only and no one else. It's so hard to do, but I think having a video bank would be a great way to go about this. Let me know if you've ever tried this with your students. I know some teachers record videos regularly for this kind of purpose. But yeah, if we could just have a memory bank of all the different times they've played. Because they don't tend to play in concerts either, that's the thing. So we don't have those natural video points with our adult students. Let me know if you've tried this or if you think I'm a bit bonkers, but I think it could make a big difference, especially for my adults. Like I've had adults who have stayed with me for six years and they just feel like they're getting nowhere at some points in that journey. 
And they are. They're, they've made a huge amount of progress, but they can't see it because they're just going day to day. Right, so those are my six little tips. Go over to the blog to check out what our guest writer, Jen, wrote about this for some more perspectives on practice with our adult students. And I'll see you back here next week. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.